Hello, world. I'm Roger Corville, and this is For the Hope's Daily Audio Bible, where we read through the scriptures conversationally, talk about the truth claims of Christianity, and learn to fall more in love with Jesus and the people in his world. You ready? Let's roll. Welcome. A theologian of the early 20th century once put it this way. His name was Augustus Hopkins Strong. Justice is the consent of the will to the law of love in its authority, its requirements, and its sanctions. God's wrath is the necessary reaction of this law of love in the constitution and order of the universe against the willful violator of it. Let me simplify and repeat that. God's wrath is the necessary reaction to the violation of the law of love. Hello, Hopeful. Welcome to episode 1998 of our journey together through the Bible. Glad you're not being all alone as we together seek to be transformed by reading through every bit of God's revelation of himself and considering our own life and work stories in light of that, including maybe even a bit of history that hasn't happened yet. Captured in Revelation chapter 15 and 16. That's what we're going to get to today. Through interlude, delay, and anticlimax, Revelation has forestalled the coming of the end. But that delay can last no longer. Now the final manifestation of God's wrath commences. Remember, my friends, wrath is the necessary response to the violation of the law of love. And as you're going to hear a couple times today, quote, they did not repent of their works. Revelation 15 and 16. Then I saw another great and awe-inspiring sign in heaven, seven angels with the seven last plagues, for with them God's wrath will be completed. I also saw something like a sea of glass mixed with fire, and those who had won the victory over the beast, its image, and the number of its name were standing on the sea of glass with harps from God. They sang the song of God's servant Moses and the song of the Lamb, singing, Great and awe-inspiring are your works, Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the nations. Lord, who will not fear and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All the nations will come and worship before you because your righteous acts have been revealed. After this, I looked, and the heavenly temple, the tabernacle of testimony, was opened. Out of the temple came the seven angels with the seven plagues, dressed in pure, bright linen with golden sashes wrapped around their chests. One of the four living creatures gave the seven angels seven golden bowls filled with the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. Then the temple was filled with the smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one could enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth. The first went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and severely painful sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast and who worshipped its image. The second poured out his bowl into the sea. It turned to blood like that of a dead person, and all life in the sea died. 
The third poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. I heard the angel of the waters say, You are just, the Holy One who is and who was, because you have passed judgment on these things. Because they poured out the blood of the saints and the prophets, you have given them blood to drink. They deserve it. I heard the altar say, Yes, Lord God the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. The fourth poured out his bowl on the sun. It was allowed to scorch people with fire, and people were scorched by the intense heat. So they blasphemed the name of God, who was the power over these plagues. And they did not repent and give him glory. The fifth poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues because of their pain and blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores. But they did not repent of their works. I'm just going to pause right there. My friends, we've seen this in the Old Testament and we see this in what is history yet to happen. Sometimes God's patience means us experiencing evil and the goal of us facing the consequences of our own junk is repentance. And here they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and sores, but they did not repent of their works. His patience has run out. Continuing. The sixth poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. Then I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming from the dragon's mouth, from the beast's mouth, and the mouth of the false prophet. For they are demonic spirits performing signs, who travel to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for the battle on the great day of God the Almighty. And my friends, this very next line is in red, meaning these are Jesus' words. Look, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who is alert and remains clothed so that he may not go around naked and people see his shame. So they assembled the kings at the place called, in Hebrew, Armageddon. Then the seventh poured out his bowl into the air and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, It is done. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. And a severe earthquake occurred like no other since people have been on the earth, so great was the quake. The great city split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. Babylon the great was remembered in God's presence. He gave her the cup filled with wine of his fierce anger. Every island fled, mountains disappeared. Enormous hailstones, each weighing about a hundred pounds, fell from the sky on the people, and they blasphemed God for the plague of hail, because that plague was extremely severe. Revelation 16 and 17. Okay, so that was heavy. But, my friends, it should be. Disordered love and sin and disease and death should weigh heavy upon us, or I should say weigh heavily upon us, for those of you who still grieve the death of the adverb. My friends, because that's when we begin to comprehend the beauty of grace. 
God's wrath is the necessary reaction to the violation of the law of love. Turning back to our Old Testament segment now, we pause our reading in Jeremiah to catch the parallel account in uh, 2 Kings, and we're going to wrap up 2 Kings today. And I couldn't have picked the timing better, right? Remember, Jerusalem is being conquered by Babylon, which is no different than God allowing evil to reign for a bit. Why? As we just talked about, because some, not all, but some will hear the wake up call before it's too late. Second Kings 24 and 25. During Jehoiakim's reign, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon attacked. Jehoiakim became his vassal for three years, and he turned and rebelled against him. The Lord sent Chaldean, Aramean, Moabite, and Ammonite raiders against Jehoiakim. He sent them against Judah to destroy it, according to the word of the Lord that he had spoken through his servants, the prophets. Indeed, this happened to Judah at the Lord's command, to remove them from his presence. It was because of the sins of Manasseh, according to all he had done, and also because of all the innocent blood he had shed. He had filled Jerusalem with innocent blood, and the Lord was not willing to forgive. The rest of the events of Jehoiakim's reign, along with all his accomplishments, are written in the historical record of Judah's kings. Jehoiakim rested with his ancestors, and his son Jehoiakim became king in his place. Now the king of Egypt did not march out against his land again, for the king of Babylon took everything that belonged to the king of Egypt, from the brook of Egypt to the Euphrates River. Jehoiakim was 18 years old when he became king, and he reigned three months in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Nehushta, daughter of Elnathan, she was from Jerusalem. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight, just as his father had done. At that time, the servants of King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon marched up to Jerusalem, and the city came under siege. King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to the city while his servants were besieging it. And King Jehoiakim of Judah, along with his mother, his servants and commanders and officials, surrendered to the king of Babylon. So the king of Babylon took him captive in the eighth year of his reign. He also carried off from there all the treasures of the Lord's temple and the treasures of the king's palace, and he cut into pieces all the gold articles that King Solomon of Israel had made for the Lord's sanctuary, just as the Lord had predicted. He deported all Jerusalem and all the commanders and all the best soldiers, 10,000 captives, including all the craftsmen and metalsmiths, except for the poorest people of the land, no one remained. Nebuchadnezzar deported Jehoiakim to Babylon. He took the king's mother, the king's wives, his officials, and the leading men of the land into exile from Babylon to Jerusalem. Oop, that just came out wrong. Leaving it in there because we're keeping it real. The king of Babylon brought captive into Babylon all 7,000 of the best soldiers and 1,000 craftsmen and metalsmiths, all strong and fit for war. And the king of Babylon made Mataniah, Jehoiakim's uncle, king in his place, and changed his name to Zedekiah. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hamatal, daughter of Jeremiah. She was from Libna. Zedekiah did what was evil in the Lord's sight, just as Jehoiakim had done. 
because of the Lord's anger, it came to the point in Jerusalem and Judah that he finally banished them from his presence. Then Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon. In the ninth year of Zedekiah's reign, on the tenth day of the tenth month, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon advanced against Jerusalem with his entire army. They laid siege to the city and built a siege wall against it all around. The city was under siege until King Zedekiah's eleventh year. By the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine was so severe in the city that the common people had no food. Then the city was broken into, and all the warriors fled at night by way of the city gate between the two walls near the king's garden, even though the Chaldeans surrounded the city. As the king made his way along the route to the Arabah, the Chaldean army pursued him and overtook him in the plains of Jericho. Zedekiah's entire army left him scattered. The Chaldeans seized the king and brought him up to the king of Babylon at Riblah, and they passed sentence on him. They slaughtered Zedekiah's sons before his eyes. Finally, the king of Babylon blinded Zedekiah, bound him in bronze chains, and took him to Babylon. On the seventh day of the fifth month, which was the nineteenth year of King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guards, a servant of the king of Babylon, entered Jerusalem. He burned the Lord's temple, the king's palace, and all the houses of Jerusalem. He burned down all the great houses. The whole Chaldean army with the captain of the guards tore down the walls surrounding Jerusalem. Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guards, deported the rest of the people who remained in the city, the deserters who had defected to the king of Babylon, and the rest of the population. But the captain of the guards left some of the poorest of the land to be vine dressers and farmers. Now, the Chaldeans broke into pieces the bronze pillars of the Lord's temple, the water carts and the bronze basin which were in the Lord's temple, and carried the bronze to Babylon. They also took the pots, shovels, wick trimmers, dishes, and all the bronze articles used in the priest's service. The captain of the guards took away the fire pans and sprinkling basins, whatever was gold or silver. As for the two pillars, the one basin, and the water carts that Solomon had made for the Lord's temple, the weight of the bronze of all these articles was beyond measure. One pillar was 27 feet tall and had a bronze capital on top of it. The capital, encircled by a grating and pomegranates of bronze, stood five feet high. The second pillar was the same, with its own grating. The captain of the guards also took away Sariah, the chief priest, Zephaniah, the priest of the second rank, and three doorkeepers. From the city he took a court official who had been appointed over the warriors, five trusted royal aides found in the city, the secretary of the commander of the army who had enlisted people for the, of the land for military duty, and sixty men from the common people who were found within the city. And Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guards, took them and brought them to the king of Babylon at Riblah. The king of Babylon put them to death at Riblah in the land of Hamath. So Judah went into exile from its land. King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon appointed Gedaliah, son of Ahakam, son of Shaphan, over the rest of the people of, that he left in the land of Judah. When all the commanders of the armies, they and their men, heard that the king of Babylon had appointed Gedaliah, they came to Gedaliah at Mitzpah. The commanders included Ishmael, son of Nethaniah, Johanan, son of Kareah, Sareah, son of Tanhumeth, the Netophathite, and Jazaniah, son of uh, the Machathite, they and their men. Gedaliah 
swore an oath to them and their men, assuring them, Don't be afraid of the servants of the Chaldeans. Live in the land and serve the king of Babylon, and it will go well for you. In the seventh month, however, Ishmael, son of Nethaniah, son of Elshamah, of the royal family, came with ten men and struck down Gedaliah, and he died. Also they killed the Judeans and the Chaldeans who were with him at Mitzpah. Then all the people, from the youngest to the oldest, and the commanders of the army left and went to Egypt, for they were afraid of the Chaldeans. On the 27th year of the 12th month, in the 37th year of the exile of Judah's king Jehoiakim, in the year evil Merodach became king of Babylon, he pardoned king Jehoiakim of Judah and released him from prison. He spoke kindly to him, set his throne over the thrones of the kings who were with him in Babylon. So Jehoiakim changed his prison clothes, and he dined regularly in the presence of the king of Babylon for the rest of his life. As for his allowance, a regular allowance was given to him by the king, a portion for each day for the rest of his life. And that, my friends, wraps up the book of Second Kings, or just Kings, because first and second go together. And that's been quite a long journey. Of course, I imagine you're sitting there going, what? What do we do? How should we live? What does human flourishing look like exercising the law of love, since that obviously is not it? Well, good thing God has not left us without a witness, uh, part of which is the section of Proverbs we're in, which, broadly speaking, speaks to exploitation and the need for what? Oh, for law. Proverbs 29 Picking up in verse 13. The poor and the oppressor have this in common. The Lord gives light to the eyes of both. A king who judges the poor with fairness, his throne will be established forever. A rod of correction imparts wisdom, but a youth left to himself is a disgrace to his mother. When the wicked increase, Rebellion increases, but the righteous will see their downfall. Discipline your child and it will bring you peace of mind and give you delight. Without revelation, people run wild, but one who follows divine instruction will be happy. A servant cannot be disciplined by words. Though he understands, he doesn't respond. Do you see someone who speaks too soon? There's more hope for a fool than for him. A servant, pampered from his youth, will become arrogant later on. An angry person stirs up conflict, and a hot-tempered one increases rebellion. A person's pride will humble him, but a humble spirit will gain honor. To be a thief's partner is to hate oneself. He hears the curse, but will not testify. The fear of mankind is a snare, but the one who trusts in the Lord is protected. Many desire a ruler's favor, but a person receives justice from the Lord. An unjust person is detestable to the righteous, and one whose way is upright 
is detestable to the wicked. And my friends, that wraps up Proverbs 29. Remember, law may get expressed in what looks like rules, but it's more than that, right? It's an ordering, a good ordering of things that emanates from the very nature and character of God, the highest law of which is the law of love. Probably more accurately, His holiness. His wrath, therefore, is a necessary reaction to the violation of the law of love. And my friends, we, in fact, I won't just tell you, let's just do it. Lord, Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for saving me from what I deserve and teaching me how to love in a way that only you can. I love you, my friends. Amen. Amen.